Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis, Genesis chapter 2. If you're still learning your way around the Bible, Genesis is the very first book in the Bible. It's the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 2. While you're turning there, when you came in today, you probably saw one of these cards. This is getting ready to talk about the series you're getting ready to do. It'll be the longest series we've ever done. 40 significant moments in the scripture that we'll go over in the next 40 weeks or the rest of this year talking about these events. We'll, tar- we'll start with creation, then we'll go to the fall of humanity, then we'll go to Noah's ark, then we'll go to the calling of Abram, and then we'll go to wherever Abraham had to offer up his son. God called him to offer up his son Isaac, and just one thing after another in Scripture and talk about what it meant for them and what it means to us. And so it's, a, it's just, we'll do that just to kind of, some people grew up with this and have a solid foundation, but a lot of people may not even be aware that some of these accounts are in the Scripture. And so it's one of those things I've had in my heart the last few years. I said, we're just going to do it. And so anyway, we have that going. All right. So why is it important that, our, that we want to see you through? Why does that matter that we, you know, we want to see people through? Well, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden, and, and he placed him there to tend and watch over it. In other words, he had an assignment there. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you're sure to die. So up to this point, just Adam existed. And so part of his assignment was to tend and watch over the garden. And the other part of his assignment was, um, it was to care for it, except for God said that all of this is yours. You have access to it, except for that. That's not yours. Don't take from it. It's not yours. And so that was his assignment. Immediately after God gives him his assignment, this is what God says. He goes, then, 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 after giving him an assignment, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So he gives Adam this assignment, and then in the assignment says, you know, says, you know, the thing that I've given him to do, he can't do by himself. He can't do it alone. He's, it's not good that he's alone. Now, again, a lot of people's theology is, well, all I need is God. I don't need people. Well, according to the scripture, you're wrong. And so whatever God gives us, he's called us to do it with somebody or somebody's, other people in our world. You know, it wasn't a mistake that Jesus would send out the disciples by two. Typically, when people are hermits and they've withdrawn completely from humanity, it's because they've been wounded or hurt in some form or fashion. And so one of the reasons why that we're not trying to see through you or through people that come, but we want to see you through is because we know that we need each other. We understand our condition, that without Jesus, all of us are lost, and with him, none of us are still perfect, that we need each other, that God's called us to do things. I, I think about this when I was at that, that chamber lunch, and, I, and there was nobody in the room that was more surprised than me, like, really? And so it was, and not because I, you know, not because of things we do, I, I was just shocked. And so, but I know this, that, you know, when the things, you know, when we talk about our vision as a church, that it's no different than it was when we started in October of 2006, our very first official Sunday. That was our vision then. The second week that we had a worship service after our launch Sunday, we had like 40-some people. That was our vision then, to be a story-changing place that's relentlessly good to our community, that's not here to see through people, but to see them through. But can I tell you that, that even with that being our vision at that time, there wasn't a lot of recognition of what was taking place because the reality of it is that what God called us to do was bigger than, not just me, but even bigger than the 40 of us that were there. 
that the things that he's called us to do, that it was bigger than that. It's, he's not trying to draw glory to one individual other than Jesus. He's not trying to draw glory to, to just one location. He's not, he's not trying to you know, raise up a person. He's trying to get to acknowledge a people that are called by God. You know, and the things that we do and how we give our time and even, and even in the way that we give our finances, that when you give, it's not like we've arrived at, well, we don't have to think any bigger. No, we're going to continue to think bigger in the things that we're called to do and impact lives more so that way. But if all we're looking is for perfect people to be a part of it, then we've limited ourselves. Or if we just think, well, I can handle this, I can do it all, I've limited myself. Even Adam, in his, before he had ever sinned, in his perfect state, with what God had called him to do, God said, I've given him something to do, and he can't clearly do it by himself. And he, matter of fact, he referred to, to Eve as the helper, and that word there, the Hebrew word is ezer, E-Z-E-R. And what it means is it's in the scripture when it says, my help comes, my help comes from the Lord, it's the same attribute that's given to God. It's a God-like quality that we help, that God's put us around people to help and put them around us to help. And so, first of all, one of the reasons why we're not trying to see through people but see them through, number one is this, is because we were not made to do this alone, that the thing that God gives us, we can't do by ourselves. There's times I'm not in a good place and I have people that lift me up, and there's times they're not in a good place and I can lift them up. We, several weeks ago, me and a couple of my friends, uh, uh, Keith Martin and Kelly Riggs, we, we did a thing on providential relationships and how important they are and how valuable they are. But understand this, that God's placed dreams in our hearts collectively, but also uniquely to you. But even though it's your unique thing, a unique thing that God has given you personally and specifically, one of the ways that you can know it's of God is that you can't do it alone. And so it's what God's called us to do. And so again, you know, that we, you know, we come along and we help and we do those things. I am, you know, just to realize this, you know. Now, here's the thing I know is a lot of times, you know, I know God knows that. And you know who doesn't know it sometimes? A lot of times the people of God don't. But do you know who does know it is the devil. That's why he's trying to get you to be offended at things. That's why he's trying to get you to pull back and withdraw. We know that even with Elijah, that when he went through a hard place, he was, a, he would, he'd just done these great things and Queen Jezebel had made threats against him. So he got in fear and then his fear turned into depression. And it says this about him, that Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah and left his servant there. And the very next place he went was to a cave to be by himself. And he was like, God, just kill me. And God said to him, what are you doing here? And God wasn't finished with him, so he began to give him assignments. And you know where his assignments took him? Back to people. Sometimes people, I'm just done peopling right now. Hey, I get it. I get it. I'm, I'm not, I know I'm not a piece of cake to deal with. I, you know, I understand if you're like, dude, sometimes he wears me smooth out. I get it. My wife gets it. I mean, we know people get it that know me. But we need each other. I know this. When I went through clinical depression, that for me, one of the very things that the devil would try to do in those moments I seemed so hopeless so helpless is he would want me to pull away from people and just kind of hide myself and I you know and just just to have as little personal interaction with people as possible because he knew there was something about that that I needed that would contribute towards my healing and whenever there was deliverance that came for me in that area it wasn't overnight but it came as a result of different relationships that were part of my life and helped me get whole again and so first of all to know this 
that we're not, the reason why we want, want to see you through is because we know this about all of us. We're not made to do this alone. We're not made to journey alone. Look at number two, if you would. Go with me, if you would, to Ecclesiastes. Now, Ecclesiastes is right after Proverbs, so it's in the Old Testament, and like Psalms is the longest book in the Bible. It's like, if you had a regular Bible, it's typically in the middle, but it's Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And we believe that Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon, and even though it's inspired by the Holy Spirit that his own personal life was kind of in a backslidden state, so sometimes there'd be things he'd see through the eyes of that, and the Holy Spirit would use that to kind of reveal, if you're feeling this way, it, this, is, this is probably why, but in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, he said this, for everything, everybody say everything. everything. For everything there is a season. For everything there's a season. Life is about seasons. He said, for everything there's a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search and a time to quit searching, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. So there's a time for everything, and I think we have to understand that, that, that life is about seasons, and, and, you know, and what's wild is, is that for a lot of us, a lot of times, that, you know, that, that one moment, one, one window or one door of a season is closing, and the other one is opening. Well, those are very hard times. I mean, one of the examples I'll use is parenting. You know, the, the, when we have little kids, and here's every season. I've said this before, but it's just good for us to remember this. Every season has two things. Every season has its privilege, and every season has its pain. And so with little kids, man, the privilege is, is that you get to tell them what to do. You tell them what to do. They don't like it. You just take their little three-year-old self, and you move them away from that because they're three. And so that's the privilege. And let me just tell you this much, it's probably the easiest season of parenting you've ever had. You're like, it gets harder. <laughs> yes, much harder. And so, so that's the privilege. What's the pain? They can't do a lot of things for themselves. You know, when ours were little, you know, crying at 2 o'clock in the morning needed to be fed. I didn't go in there and say, you're just so selfish. I got to get up early in the morning. <laughs> There's two reasons why I did that, usually because Tina was one and they were talking to him. But second of all... I knew that it would not be one of those things that they would get or comprehend. You know, they're, they're babies. And so that's the pain that comes with it is they had to have everything done for them. But the privilege is we have to hold them and cuddle with them. And they, they wanted to be around us. and We're the center of their world. And they're just looking for approval from us and, and you know, and, and that type of thing. And then they, they get older and they become teenagers. And you're like... This is why some animals eat their young. You know, I mean, it's just you had, you had an understanding of that, you know, that, that awareness that takes place in there. And so, and so, you know, and what's happening is, is that now they, they're leaving that childhood stage and they're entering into adulthood and it doesn't happen overnight. But it's a hard season for them and for us because as parents, we still want to parent them like they're 10, but they're not. And they want to be parented like they're 30, but they're not. And so that transition, is, it creates tension between both because we're trying to navigate our way through. And so I remember that, you know, um, and, you know when we moved here, uh, Ashley was going into the seventh grade, Daniel was going into the ninth grade, and David was going into the tenth grade. 
And, man, we, we pulled them, and I led the way, pulled them from everything they'd known. I'm from here, but my kids weren't. They were all three born in Clovis, New Mexico. It's where they grew up. They went to the same church their whole life. Their whole life they went to the same church for 17 years. Well, they, they weren't all that old, but we'd been there for 17 years. And so I come in and say, we're, we're going to go back to where I grew up. I've asked God if we can start a church there. And he's, he said, yes. And so, but to their credit, they were so good, man. I mean, you know, they, they, didn't, they didn't create issues. You know, I, I know it was uncomfortable for them and there were some challenges. But I know even one time one of the kids that David went to school started coming here. And she said, yeah, when she first met David, that, and I don't even know if he remembers this, but the, she said, why are you guys here? And he said, we're here to help my dad start a church, man. It rocked me. But then as they get here that, you know, you know, not too long after that, they start transitioning into adulthood. And I remember Ashley, you know, she got married at 18, and she, you know, she's, she's coming to me before she gets married. She said, I want to get married. I'm like, I want you to get married. And she said, I want to get married, like, quickly. I'm like, have you lost your mind? She said, yes, I want to marry Jake. I'm like, what's a Jake? I want to meet Jake. I got a few things I want to say to him. So I met Jake. He was so kind. I wasn't, but he was really kind. <laughs> and so um, I was asking him, how many homeless people do you have? No, anyway, so. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know, I, you know, and I mean, I'm like, she is not, she's lost her mind. Now, the truth of the matter is, you know, time is the great storyteller. And over time, it's proven that she knew a lot more about what she was doing and made a way better choice for herself than I would have in that time. I love Jake. But that wasn't always the case. <laughs> and it's not because of him. Well, kind of, but anyway. So, so they, they end up getting married. My daughter's married at 18. 18, and I said, hey, why don't you guys wait to have kids? She did. They, they waited. It was 10 months before they had their first child. And so, and um, then I said, why don't you, just whatever you do, don't become a millionaire. And that's the first time she's ever listened to me. So, but... Um, but the truth of the matter is, is that now she's married, and, and I, I believe that I have a great relationship, and it's because of them with, with both my sons and my, my daughter. You know, we, we, we talk about stuff. You know, I talk to them about what's going on in my world. They tell me what's going on in theirs. And so Ashley begins to share things that her and Jake are going to do. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm like, gosh, that's like really stupid. And sometimes, sometimes it was, but sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes it was just... I just called it that because the reality of it was it wasn't what I wanted them to do. That didn't make it stupid. But man, I was frustrated. I'm trying to figure out what's my role, what's my place. And I'm, my life was so unsettled. I'm trying to figure out, you know, I thought I had this parenting down. Now I feel like I'm failing miserably. I want to beat up my, my daughter's husband and all that, you know. And just I'm like, that's probably not biblical. And so, so finally, I have a friend of mine that's a pastor, Troy Smotherman. I call him up and I say... You know, I, so I, I gave him more details than I'm giving you. And I said, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I said, I don't know what my role is. And he said, I'll tell you what your role is. He said, oh, please do. And I was expecting some long answer. He said, whatever they say it is. I hate you. Yeah. <laughs> no, man, he was right. You know, now, again, I have a say in that. They can say, we want you to do this. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not doing that. That's not... But, but they have a say in it too. I don't get to just tell them they're not eight anymore. And so it was something, but it, it was just one of those seasons that is, I'm, 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 the, the window's closing to a season that, that honestly I, I loved. And another window was opening where like in my daughter, I'm not the number one guy in her life anymore. She's marrying somebody and now she even asked me, she said, do you want me to listen to you 
Or do you want me to listen to Jake? Is this a trick question? I mean, <laughs> and I mean, we know the answer. She's supposed to listen to her husband, right? Yeah. And so God's doing, he was having to do a work in me, you know, to get me not to be hard-headed and stuff like that. But one of the things, one of the instruments or tools that he used in my life to help me was this friend of mine that had journeyed through life with me that gave me just a simple counsel. Whatever they say it is. Now, this guy knew things about me. He knew I wasn't perfect. He knew I could be competitive or I could get irritated or just different things like that. So, so I'm glad that it, it, through all the seasons of life, if I was struggling in my marriage, he was a guy that I would trust with information like that. Hey, I'm struggling to be the husband I'm called to be. I, I just, you know, just, you know I, I get frustrated. I mean, just he was that guy. And he, he never wrote me off. He could have said, I don't have to see through you. It's obvious that you're a mess. In some of these areas. But he didn't even do that. He journeyed with me. He didn't disqualify me as a pastor. He didn't be like, what on earth would make you think you could ever be in ministry? He didn't do that. And I would have understood had he. Because I know me. But he didn't. And in those moments like that, he was a voice that I could trust. That I knew wouldn't just kind of pat me on the back and go, yeah, they're really horrible. No, man, he patted me on the back and goes, yeah, dude, you're trying to have too much say in this. It's not yours anymore. I needed to hear that. But we're not called to do this. What God's given us is too big for one person. And then as it grows and the vision grows with it, but second of all is this, is that we need people to walk through seasons with us. There's no telling what a mess I would have made of that moment, which would have translated into years of relationship with my daughter and her husband. And then later on, my grandkids. But because he journeyed with me, imperfect, broken in some places, me, that sometimes, you know, could make decisions that didn't look saved. But he still loved me and still saw me as a child of God and recognized the call of my life and just knew I was a person that the grace of God was still working on. And so because of that, he was still in my life. And in that moment, he gave me this short counsel that was so full of wisdom that it resonated in my heart and impacted my behavior and the role that I saw myself in with my daughter, who was the first of my kids to get married. I'll be forever grateful for that moment. And it's because he didn't spend his life trying to see through me and all my flaws and fallacies. He saw potential and promise with me as long as I would get back up. He knew there would be times I'd fail. That wasn't the question. Is what do you do when you fall? Do you get back up? And where do you run to? So we need people to walk through seasons with us. I know some of you are in seasons right now. And the hardest time is when those seasons end and when a new one begins. Those are hard moments because sometimes they overlap with each other and your role changes. And it's just, there's all this tension. You know, you felt like you finally got this one down and now you're going into a new one you feel unsure about and uncertain. And you try to go through it by yourself. So letting God put people in your life that walk with you through it. And sometimes you don't need them to give you counsel. Sometimes they just need to be there while you just vent and blow off steam. We're not called to do this alone. We need each other. Let's look at this last one. Go with me, if you would, to Luke 22. It's the third book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke. As you're turning there, you know, we think about going through seasons. I think about Jesus, you know, his three years of ministry here on the earth. But as it comes to an end, his ministry on the earth, and he's getting ready to transition where he's going to be offered up for arrest. They're going to put him on a show trial. 
And then they're going to scourge him, torture him, and beat him, and then hang him on a cross. And he knows that's coming, that this window of, of ministry and training his disciples, that window's closing. And the window of suffering for our sins is getting ready to, he's, it's opening up. That even him, the example he set was, he didn't say, I got this, I'm the son of God. Y'all just, you sit there and finish dinner, I'll, I'll see you in three days. No, it says this about him. It says that he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, James and John he took them with him. And became anguished and distressed. The example that he gave us was even he didn't endure those seasons alone. So we're called to do in Luke 22. Jesus is getting ready to be arrested. And in verse 31, he said, Simon, Simon, talking about talking to Simon Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. He said, the devil wants to sift you. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. So Jesus is talking to Peter, who's, you know, always blustery, always talking about, I'm going to do this, and we, you know, Lord, we're here for you, Lord, I got your back. If everybody else deserts you, I'm here. And, and Jesus says, well, first of all, the devil's targeted you. He wants to sift you. And I prayed for you, and he's implying, right, I prayed for you, and you're still going to fail. And Jesus is looking at him and goes, you're going to fail when I need you most, so I'm done with you. I really count on it. For three years, I took care of your mother-in-law and made sure she was better. I took care of you and your family. And now when I need you, you're going to walk away. I'm out of here. No. He said, Satan's desire to sift you as wheat, and I've prayed for you. And even though you're going to blow it, I've prayed that you'll repent. And when you do, strengthen your brothers. Let me just tell you this. One of the things that we need to know is that we need people who will pray for us on our worst day. On our worst day, our least deserving day, our most challenging day, that these relationships that anchor us in, that keep us steady, that don't let us drift too far, that help us get back up. We need people that will pray for us. It's, it's why in our life we know that at some point all of us in here are going to need those moments, those seasons where somebody's not in our life to judge us, not in our life to condemn us or to shame us. But in our lives to see us through as we're going in through this broken place or this hurt place or this wounded place. And, you know, instead of viewing themselves as having to give us all of this stuff to tell us to do, that instead, that as they go through that, as we go through that, that they're there to help us and to be with us and not see through us, but to see us through. Jesus is our example. The Lord of the universe. The Lord of our life said to one of his followers, his most his closest followers, the devil's targeted you and you're, you're going to blow it. I'm, I haven't written you off. I'm praying for you. That on the other side of this, on the other side of this, you're going to come out of it and you're going to strengthen people. That's who we are because we know that as we go through seasons and Sometimes they're just, sometimes it's just life, you know. When I, when I went through depression, it wasn't because I think I did anything wrong. Why did it happen? I don't know. I just all went through it. And my natural inclination is want to hide myself and that type of thing. But God put people around me that encouraged me that had been through the same thing. 
that helped me and got me to do things in my life that I believe helped eventually get me on the other side of it and get me free. And I promise the Lord, I'll talk about it over and over again to encourage people that go through that same thing. Because one of the power that held on me was the fact that it was in secret. And this is what I know is that all of us have issues and sometimes we have nothing to do with it. It's just life. It just comes on us. Sometimes it's an attack by the enemy. Sometimes it's our own mistakes and our own failures. And you know, when they're in secret, the challenge is that they're in secret. We have nobody to, to help us. And so, and so, you know, we need people around us that we can share our secrets with. Sometimes they're in private, and that's just where our family knows is it. And we want to make sure that they help us. You know, sometimes they're really hard because they're not secret or private. Sometimes they're public, and everybody knows. And everybody has an opinion. And everybody has their mouth on it, and they're, they're judging, and, and all of those kind of things. And we don't feel safe anywhere. And we would give anything to have a friend that's with us and says, I know what you did. Yeah, you and everybody else, and I still love you. And I still see something good in you. And I'm going to pray for you that on the other side of this, that God is going to use this moment that the devil used to destroy you and to discredit you, but he's going to use it, he's going to, use it to strengthen you. And you're going to help other people that have the same issue as you because you didn't quit. And I'm going to be here to help make sure you don't give up. That's who we are. That's who we are. And so we need people who will pray for us on our worst day, and we all have them. We all have them. Jesus said to him, the devil wants to sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you so that you'll repent and your strength in that repentance will be used to strengthen these guys. Don't quit. Who's here to pray for in your worst day? In Acts chapter 4, man, the disciples were, they were just, they, they were persecuted, and when they left, it says they went to their own company, and they prayed with them. In Acts 16, God had spoken to Paul. He had a dream, come over to Macedonia and help us. And he shared it with them. And Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, said, after this vision that God had given Paul, again, because it was from God, it was too big for Paul to do on his own. And he said, we knew that God had called us to go to Macedonia. As he shared this, that they felt the Holy Spirit joining them together. In relationship, there was a king in the Old Testament that when God had called this king, it says this in 1 Samuel, it said that, that there were men whose, God, whose hearts God had touched to be joined together with them. And so we do this. You know, one of the things that takes place in our church is we have life groups, our home groups to do that in order to connect with people and it allows us to journey together. But the, the thing I, I have to emphasize the most is that, is that if you've withdrawn because, again, God takes this seriously. Sometimes we don't, but the devil takes it seriously. So he uses offense to get us offended. He uses disappointment to get us disappointed. He uses feeling overwhelmed or discouraged to cause us to pull back. Because he knows, he knows that if he can isolate you, then you become an open target. And the truth of the matter is, is that you'll feel overwhelmed and never have the courage to step out. I even think about my own marriage, and there's things I do today that by nature, when I, when I was single, it wasn't me, but I had a wife that encouraged me. I remember the first church that we ever, you know, tried out for. I was, they were looking for a youth minister, and they wanted me to preach on a Sunday, and I sit back down, and I'm, I'm like, on my mind, I'm like, that was so horrible. Not only will they not offer me a job, they'll probably blacklist me to every church in the area, you know, and stuff like that. And I sit down, and Tina looks at me, she goes, that was so good. And I was like... <laughs> Have you been drinking? You know, I mean, it was like, <laughs> it didn't feel good, but man, she encouraged me. 
She encouraged me. It kept me going. It, it caused me to do things that at that time I would have never thought. I would, I'd said before out of my own mouth, if we're going to start a church, I'll need a burning bush experience. I never got that. But what I did get was people around me that encouraged me and supported me and saw things in me that I didn't even see myself and knew that I wasn't perfect but encouraged me to go that direction. Because when I was alone, it wasn't good. And when you're alone, it's not good for you either. We need each other. So this is a place. We're not trying to see see through you. We want to see you through. And that'll cause people to criticize. Well, they're just full of hypocrites. If you mean they're full of people that make mistakes and still aren't perfect yet, guilty. Guilty. And just because I blow it doesn't mean that I'm insincere. Just because you blow it doesn't mean you're insincere. It may mean that you have areas you still need to grow in. And sometimes areas we need to surrender in. And it doesn't give us permission to keep blowing it. But to have people around us that will walk with us, encourage us, and strengthen us along the way, that's who we are. That's who we are. I want you to to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we just look to you. And I pray over each and every life that's here right now. God, I ask that you help us in our life, in our world. Father, thank you that you, because you made us, you know, for that you give us things in our lives to do, that we weren't called to do it by ourselves. We weren't called to do it alone, that there are people that you place in our life to help us, that love us, even in, the, even in and especially in the places that we're broken, the places where we're hurt or wounded, the places where we still need to yield and surrender. Thank you for that. And I pray that over each life. I pray for people that are going through seasons of life. That as they journey right now, that maybe a season's coming to a close or it's just closed and they're stepping into a new one and it can feel overwhelming. We can feel lost in it. Just so uncertain. It feels so chaotic. I thank you that we have the Holy Spirit. He's a helper. But we also thank you for the people in our life that you send along to help us to pull us out of this thing that could be a pit that we're forever trapped in, but because of the relationships in our life that we don't have to stay there. And so, God, the people that come here, we thank you that you love us, and we're going to love whoever's in front of us. We're going to be good to our community, and we have opportunities, and sometimes everybody will know about it, and sometimes nobody but the person we help will know about it. But, Father, for each one of us, we're not going to be a suspicious place. We're not going to be looking for the broken place. They're all there. We all have them. But our desire is not to use that as an excuse, but to be yielded to Jesus and have people alongside us that see it, but still believe in us and help us to grow past it. We're thankful for that. That's who we are because that's the God we serve. 